I'm certainly glad that you're here. I've been preaching a series on Sunday mornings during this Christmas time about joy, and I want to continue that today. Uh, today we'll talk about the joy of seeking Christ. You know, at the birth of Jesus, there was an explosion of joy. Uh, the angel announced to the fearful shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Uh, the reason joy is such a huge part of the birth of Christ is because joy is such a huge part of the life that Christ came to give us. And the joy of Christmas is nothing less than the joy of knowing and loving Jesus Christ. Um, as I was sitting there listening to Virgil sing, and even before he sang during our, our praise time to the Lord, I was just I was overwhelmed with, uh, with the thoughts of what happened that first Christmas. And compare that with, with today. Um, you, you know, I, I am preaching about joy, and I'm going to get to joy. Uh, but alongside that joy is, is a whole lot of negative, depressing things going on. I mean, you've got a teenage girl 2,000 years ago uh, who was not married, and she became pregnant. I mean, that in and of itself is a pretty bad thing. And then they have to travel as she's nine months pregnant uh, to the city of Bethlehem. They don't find a motel room. And so she's giving birth to her first son in a stable. There's no place to lay the kid. And so they put him in a manger and they wrap him in, in basically in shop rags. The first breath that this baby takes is that of, of animal urine. <laughs> what a depressing situation. Even beyond that physical level, understand, church, what was going on in the heavens. There was a huge battle the night Jesus was born. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that a woman was about to give birth. She was crying out in labor pains. There was the mighty red dragon right there in front of her. The Bible says the dragon was ready to devour the child. Satan was there wanting to devour God's son. But amidst all of those bad, horrible, terrible things, there is joy in Christmas. And what hit me while I was sitting there is this. You know, there are a lot of people in this room today, and maybe, maybe they don't feel joy in their heart right now. Maybe life has thrown them a curveball. Maybe your life today is depressed. Maybe this is the first Christmas that you're going to have to go through without a loved one who's passed away this year. Or there's been a problem in your family and your, your family is now divided. It's, it's split up. A husband and wife is divorced. This is the first Christmas that you're going to experience that kind of life. And, and there is no happiness. It, it's filled with problems. I want you to know that God understands all of that. And even in the midst of pain and depression and hard times, God can give you joy. Now, none of that was in my notes, but I feel it in my heart. And you need to understand there is hope today. There is joy because God brought that joy to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter wrote, Though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Wow. 
Think about that. Inexpressible and glorious joy. I've got to ask, does that characterize your life? The joy is ours. God gives it to us, even in the face of pain and problems and suffering. And as others see this joy in us, it causes them to wonder about the source of that joy. And then we have an opportunity to share with them the good news of our Savior. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on spiritual depression said this, I have no hesitation in asserting again that one of the reasons why the Christian church counts for so little in our modern world is that so many Christians are in this condition of spiritual depression. The greatest need of our hour is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians are, to say the least, a poor recommendation of the Christian faith. You won't do it, so I'll say it. Amen. Wow. You tell me, why would anyone in the world want to have a relationship with a God who literally sucked the joy and happiness out of their lives? I don't know anyone who would. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't suck joy out. He infuses joy inside of us. It's a joy unspeakable. It's full of glory. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this joy, the joy of serving God and the joy of sharing Christ. Today, I want to conclude this Christmas series talking about the joy of seeking Christ. It's really interesting how God puts a longing in our hearts to seek after Christ. The New Testament tells us of some very unlikely characters who came seeking the Savior, and it resulted in them finding great joy. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. This incident occurs sometime after the birth of Christ. Uh, we're going to see that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are now living in a house, not in a barn. So this could possibly have occurred when Jesus was maybe a few months old. Some believe that he was even a little older than that. But here's the account. In Matthew chapter 2, let's read verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Matthew goes on to explain in verses 3 through 8 that this created quite a stir in Jerusalem all the way from King Herod down to the common people. King Herod calls for the religious leaders, and he insists that they tell him about this Christ who was to be born. Now, these Jewish leaders know their Bible, and they know it well, and so they tell Herod that the Old Testament prophecies reveal that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Herod is intrigued with this, and he calls the wise men back, asks them more Questions like, when, what time did you exactly see the star? And then he gives them this strange order. He says, you go and find the child because I want to worship him. That's interesting and we'll come back to it in a moment. Let's pick up our reading in verse 9. Then they, the wise men, heard the king. They departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them 
till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country, going another way. Heavenly Father, I love you. I commit this time to you. I pray, dear Lord, that as I speak on the outside, your Holy Spirit would speak on the inside. Challenge us to be the Christians that you've called us to be. And Lord, if there's someone here today seeking Christ, I pray that they would find him. We ask this in your name. Amen. It's really interesting to me how God puts a longing in our hearts to seek after Christ. It's not something that really comes naturally to us. I think it's a part of the awakening that God does in the human heart that causes us to seek Him. And in seeking Him, we will find Him. And when you find Jesus, you find joy. Three things I want you to take note of today. The first is the circumstances that causes the wise men and cause us to seek after Christ. These wise men have mystified Bible students through the ages. Matthew's gospel gives us very little information about them, who they were, where they came from, how they arrived, all that's a big mystery. What we do know is they show up, they present gifts, and then they're gone. I understand there are many misconceptions and even some myths about these men. Some of them reflected in the Christmas carol that we sing this time of year that says, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travis afar, filled in fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. You're laughing. I thought you'd sing with me. You're just laughing at me, aren't you? Yeah. It's hard to read those words without wanting to break out in song. But You know, that's what we know about the kings, isn't it? We think they're kings. We think there's three of them. We think they come from the Orient. Well, not necessarily so. First, we're not told in Scripture that there were three of them. Uh, we presume that there were three because they gave three gifts, and this song says there were three. But you know what? There could have just been two of them or maybe ten of them. We don't know because we're not told. And they were probably not from the Orient. More than likely, they were from the lands just east of Palestine, the, the Persian Empire. And they were probably not kings. They were, however, associated with royalty. There are many who believe that these wise men were actually priests of an ancient religion of the Medes known as Zoroastrianism. Uh, we see this from the book of Daniel when it refers to wise men. This religion had some similarities to Judaism, at least outwardly. They were big into astrology, which explains the fascination that these men had with that star that suddenly appears. But something drove these men to come from a different land and a different culture to seek the Messiah, the, the King of the Jews. And we wonder, what were these circumstances? Well, we're not told specifically in the Bible, but I think if we use our brains and think about it for a moment, maybe we can piece this picture together. 
really, God probably revealed himself to them just like he does to everyone he draws to himself. He draws us through the Scripture. And he probably drew these men from the Scripture. You say, well, where did they get access to the Word of God? These wise men were from the very region where five to six hundred years before God had sent his people, the Jews, into exile. Of course, some of them took their scriptures with them. They had the word of God. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think it's, it's really bad in the Old Testament when God sent his people to different regions of the world. But you know what? God is always thinking of redemption. Even in the New Testament, when the church was persecuted and the Christians had to disperse from the city they were in to different regions, that was not always a bad thing. Because as they went, they spread the good news. And when God's people were pushed to Babylon and then later the, the Persian Empire, they carried with them the word of God. These scriptures contained prophecies of the coming Messiah. But God also draws us through nature. I, I see it here in this passage. God, God uses his creation to guide their search. He, he presented to them a star, a guiding star in the heavens. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And I believe due to the unique behavior of this particular star that it was actually the Shekinah glory of God revealed through this star. Just like when he used for the people of Israel that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to lead them. God's glory was in the star. These wise men saw that they knew because they studied the stars that this was interesting. This was new. This was different. It was God's glory drawing them to the place God wanted them to go. You know what? That still leaves a big question because there are no specific prophecies about the coming of the Messiah related to a star. So perhaps God did for these wise men what he still does for a lot of people today, many in Muslim regions of the world, he reveals himself to these people through dreams and through circumstances, and it causes these people to seek after Christ. You know, God can do that. So really, you can see that the real seeker here is not these wise men. The real seeker in this passage is God himself. This is an account of God drawing men to himself. That's what God's all about. That's what God is doing in this room. Right now today, God is drawing you to himself. Secondly, we see the joy that comes from finding Jesus. I love verse 10 of Matthew chapter 2. When they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The NIV says they were overjoyed. Literally, they rejoiced with great joy. It's the same word that's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, good news of great joy. The Amplified Bible says it this way, they were thrilled with ecstatic joy. Really, the word literally means mega joy. <laughs> Their lives were filled with this mega joy. Boy, I wish that would shower on us this morning. Wow, I kind of feel a need for a little mega joy in this place. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Let me remind you that this joy 
This joy is an internal, an internal experience that comes from the Holy Spirit's activity in our life. It is the Holy Spirit of God's job to ignite this joy in us. And then that joy overflows. We can't contain it. Friend, when you know the joy of the Lord, you can't keep it inside. You can't bottle it up. It has to find a way out. It begins internally, but it has to go external. It has to come out of our lives, and it comes out through praising God and giving glory to Him. Well, if you look carefully at this passage, you notice uh, this joy works differently in people's lives. Really, there, there are three kinds of, of people that are represented here. Some get it, some don't. Some take it, others refuse it. For example, there are those in this story who are desperate for the activity of God in their life. The wise men in Matthew chapter 2 are examples of those whose hunger and thirst for God is awakened by a loving God and they seek for Him with desperation in their life until they are ultimately satisfied. These guys really don't know what's up. They don't, they don't understand everything. There's just a hunger inside them for something more than they have. And they literally travel hundreds of miles to find it. Again, I have to relate it to where we are today, those in this room. Some of you came today and you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're looking for something. You're seeking after something. You've tried everything the world has to offer and it hasn't satisfied. So you're looking for something that will. I mean, you can find it in Jesus. If you are desperate for the activity of God, you will be satisfied. Secondly, there are those in this story who are threatened by the activity of God. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. New King James says he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. That's interesting to me. He, he was troubled and everybody else was troubled. All right? Let's just talk about King Herod because he was threatened by this. After all, King Herod was given at his coronation the title king of the Jews. So why are these wise guys snooping around asking about another king of the Jews? That threatened him. We're going to see later that this threat caused Herod to do some very atrocious things just to secure his position. He was so threatened by this announcement that he decreed later in this passage that all baby boys two years and under, be murdered. <laughs> then number three, there are those who are insensitive to the activity of God. We read about these guys in verses 4 through 6. When King Herod had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you, this is flat out amazing to me. The more I think about it, though, the, the more I can see how easily this could happen to us who are right here in this place. Do you see what's happening in these verses? 
The king wants a report and he wants it immediately. Where is the Messiah to be born? Well, the Jewish leaders, the religious people, they know their Bibles well. So they pull out their super saint study Bible and they point the scripture out and say, see, it's right here. Bethlehem is where the Messiah is to be born. That's where it's all going to come down. And yet, where are they? They're not in Bethlehem. They're in Jerusalem. Why were they not camped out in Bethlehem, watching, waiting for the activity of God, where it was predicted to happen, particularly because some guys had just shown up saying, we saw his star in the east. So why didn't they jump up and run down to Bethlehem? Why are they still sitting there in Jerusalem? Well, my suspicion is that they were so locked in their religious rut, their religious routine, that they no longer had any day-to-day communion with God. It's almost like they were on another spiritually speaking. See, I'm amazed that in this story there are so-called pagan people who are so hungry for God that they travel hundreds of miles to Bethlehem from Persia. And then at the same time, there are people, supposedly God's people, who are so out of touch with what God is doing that they wouldn't go 10 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to rejoice in what God was doing. But then I have to sit back and look at us. And I don't say you, I say us. Because I know how we are. I know how easy it is for us Christians to get stuck in our own ruts. And our own routines. Sometimes we just get stuck in the rut of going to church. Showing up. Doing what we're asked to do. Yet the joy is gone because our love for Jesus Christ has grown cold. And we no longer seek Him like we once did. Folks, let me tell you, if that's the case in your life today, the joy will return when you allow your life to be captivated by God and you are caught up in what God is doing in our world. The joy will come back. Just get out of your rut and get close to Him again. Well, the Holy Spirit is teaching us one more thing here. And he's teaching us about the love that flows as we worship Jesus. Joy always comes mixed with love. Remember 1 Peter 1.8? I started with this verse. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. How true is that? I've, I've never seen Jesus. I've read about him. I know what he did for me. And because of that, I love Jesus. I love him. And you are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. My life is filled with joy because I love Jesus. Here's how this love flows. It starts in my head. Okay, How do I know this? Well, this is what happened with the wise men. It starts in your head. It's clear that these seekers, these wise men, had applied their minds to the search of spiritual things. These guys were not... They were not simple. They were not stupid. These were wise men. That's why they call them wise men. (laughs) They used their brains. Okay? 
They understood in their mind that something was going on, and so it caused them to, to seek after Christ. You know, sometimes we think that, that church and religion and Christianity is just emotions. It's just feelings. Well, let me tell you, it's not church. It starts in your head. In fact, the Bible says we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means that we are to love Him with the sagacity of love. That means that we've studied the Scripture. We've read the Word of God. We've processed this. We have done what Jesus said to do, counting the cost. We've thought about it. And we understand the truth of the gospel. That yes, we are sinners. And no, we cannot save ourselves. And yes, we do need a Savior. And the only way we can be saved is through faith in Jesus. That's processed through our mind. My head understands this. But it doesn't stay in my head. You know, you, you can know everything there is to know about Christianity and your life not be changed. You can know all the Bible verses and not be a believer. The demons know, but it doesn't mean they're saved. Because that head knowledge has to turn into a heart experience. It travels from my head to my heart. These wise men allowed their hearts to be moved. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They were overjoyed. They adored Jesus. They fell and worshipped Jesus with their whole heart. And really, that's my admonition to you today. Let your heart be filled with love for Jesus. Allow your love for Jesus to, to flow through your heart and your life, and you worship Him. It starts in my head. It moves to my heart. But you know what? It doesn't stay in my heart. It moves out through my hands. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, verse 11 on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down. That's interesting in and of itself. They literally fell down and worshipped him. That's what happens when you come into the presence of Jesus. You worship him. And then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. You see, here's the deal. Joy always causes us to open our hands and release our treasures to him. That is true throughout the Bible. It begins in the Old Testament. It was unheard of or even unthought of in the Old Testament to come into the presence of God to worship the living and true God and not present to him the very best that you had. You never came empty-handed to worship in the Old Testament. That's a teaching that continues through into the New Testament. I, I don't know where we've lost it in the modern-day world we need to go back and retrieve it because it's a part of biblical worship. When I come to worship God and I fall down and worship and praise to Him, I give to Him the very best I have. I worship Him with open hands. I can tell you this, joyless people, people without joy, are stingy and selfish. You see, our giving should reflect our worship as we understand who Christ is. In fact, just look at what their gifts represented. What did they give Jesus? They gave Jesus gold. Gold. A gift fit for a king. You see, in their land, it was fitting to approach a king with the gift of gold. They didn't know it, 
But when they presented gold to Jesus, they were affirming that Jesus was indeed King Jesus. They gave him frankincense. This was a costly perfume used in the temple worship. It it was an incense. They didn't know it, but they were affirming that Jesus was our great high priest when they gave him this frankincense. And then they gave him myrrh, which is a very strange gift. Really what myrrh is is a burial spice. It's almost like giving somebody a coffin for Christmas. That's a thoughtful gift, is it not? They didn't know it, but when they gave him the gift of myrrh, they were affirming that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world who would die to forgive us of our sins. Listen to me, church. Joy and love and giving all go together. And that's what Christmas is all about. Now, at the risk of sounding not so much Christmas cardish this morning, I want to end with verse 12. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So they went a different way. You see, when you experience Christ through salvation, you can never go back the way you came. He changes you. You're not the same. We were all created to worship, not ourselves, not some false lifeless idols. We were created to worship God Himself. Nothing else brings true meaning and purpose to life. And you know what? When God awakens that longing in your heart to seek Christ and you find Him, You find the joy that goes along with that. The joy that you've always wanted and always needed. It is a life that is never the same. Because Jesus changes us. He wants to change you today. That's why he's here. That's why you came. You didn't just show up here today. God drew you here. God called you here. God's working in your life. And today you need to hear the good news that God loves you. Jesus cares. Jesus died for you to save you from your sins. And all you have to do is believe. When you ask him into your heart, your life will be changed. The old is gone and you'll have joy. Say, well, preacher, I'm here and I'm, I'm a Christian, but you know, I, dude, I've just, I've kind of lost the joy. Rediscover the joy. Come recommit your life to Christ. Bring your life to Him and offer it as a living sacrifice at the altar and that joy will come back. 